I have some good news for you about a new venture that we've embarked upon and that is webinars and we've had a few out now and so what we would like to do is offer you a discount and all you have to remember is that the discount code is podcast and you can either find the webinars on Curtis Farrier Books or you can email us at sjcurtisbooks at gmail.com Anyway, come along to our webinars and use your discount code PODCAST. Thank you. You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Our sponsors for today's episode are Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partner, Diamond Farrier Company. Travelled to Australia and New Zealand a couple of times last year, and I had a number of things I wished to fulfil while I was in those two fantastic countries. Uh, I recorded podcasts, of which this is going to be one of them. I took photographs for my new book, The Farrier, gave some lectures, some clinics, and then finally, my last job before heading home was to judge at the Australasian Farrier Competition, which is possibly the biggest Farrier Competition in the Southern Hemisphere. In fact, I think it almost certainly is. My fellow judge there was Colin Smith, so I could not miss the opportunity to have a chat with him for this podcast. Uh, So you're going to listen to two POMs talking in Queensland, Australia. Colin has had a remarkable journey in his life in in more ways than one, both uh, as a farrier from a technical point of view and from a knowledge point of view, Uh, but certainly as distance because uh, for those of you that are not in the UK, Australia and New Zealand is the farthest away you can get from England. So he talks about this journey and he talks initially about growing up in Yorkshire, where he trained with his father, George, who was a very well-known farrier. I can still remember George. And he had a very early success, and it came as quite a shock, not just to him, but to the farrier community. So I'm going to leave you to listen to him talking about that. And he has appeared only as a cameo cameo role in my new book, The Farrier. So he doesn't have a section to himself. Uh, But since he was there at the competition and I was actually photographing somebody else at the competition, he's there in the background. He talks about how and why he emigrated to Australia. And he also developed uh, some very good farrier tools uh, and started a farrier tool industry in Australia when there really wasn't one at all. And then he talks about how he moved into formal farrier education, in other words, teaching at a college. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of us who have spent a lot of time educating farriers, should we say informally, at clinics and in lectures, but it is quite different to train apprentices in a college, and of course Colin talks about that. I'll let you listen to what he has to say about it. 
Uh, in this conversation, uh, it's going to be one POM speaking to another POM in Australia. So Colin Smith and I have just finished judging at the Australian, or I should say the Australasian Farriers competition here in Brisbane. Uh, that finished yesterday. Both of us are waiting to get on a plane. So we're going to have a talk about Colin's life and some of the things that he does here in Australia. Welcome, Colin. Thanks, Simon. Now, tell me, Colin, uh, where did you start your apprenticeship? Uh, I started my apprenticeship with my father, George Smith, in, uh, we were originally from a town called Weatherby, and uh, the blacksmith shop was uh, in a place called Little Ribston in North Yorkshire, just, just outside of Nairsborough, Harrogate. Okay, so, uh, a lovely part of the world, especially Harrogate, Spa yeah. Town, Posh Town. Oh, a beautiful part of the world. I mean, I, I, my childhood was brought up in a... My sand pit was a coke pit and playing in the orchard with the apples and the horses and stuff like that. And I was Aki Black as a young kid, as five-year-old, and that was my introduction to Farrier and blacksmithing, really. I don't know what Hacky Black is. Oh, just Black of the Age of Space, because you rummage around the coke pit and just, yeah, as a, as a child would do, it's great fun. You and know. you had horses at home? We had an old coloured horse, which my me father, you know, saved as a laminitic old lady, she was called. I used to jump on the fence. And she was a smart old horse. She'd, uh, I used to get her on a bareback, and then she'd trot over to the apple tree, and I'd stand on her back and get her apples. And um, that, that's my uh, that's my total riding experience. Um, that's it. Okay. <laughs> and then you you did your apprenticeship with your father. Yeah. How'd that work out? It was good. Um, father son conflicts. Um, he he was. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've been a somewhat of a competition farrier to some degree he he did that himself but always stayed away from it because he said you can never make a living from it and that's fine and, and the, the culture that comes with that but after a certain period of time he was a very proud man when we when we did good things together it was um, sensational really sounds like my father he used to say about competition farriers can't be very busy can they no no they've got nothing else better to do you know yeah and uh, yeah <laughs> all those so anyway, it's ironic how, how good you became at competitions. But see, I can even remember, I'm probably about 10 years older than you, Colin, because so, you're really young. And, um, but I can remember there was a little bit of a fuss when a certain apprentice, in his apprenticeship, went off to Calgary and got in the last 10. Yeah. And so you were shooing in a competition. Yeah. Uh, in, in Calgary when, of course, in the UK, we didn't allow apprentices to shoe in competitions. No, no. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Gary Harlan, came back. He'd gone to Texas one year. And he came back with all these G-tools. And he goes, hey, Smithy. He goes, look at all these ribbons. I went, oh, wow, look at that. And he goes, we've done really well over there. He said, it's really good. I went, okay. And then somebody mentioned um, a guy called Bob Marshall. And um, the, the local, that set, then Crothers and, and crew and, and the ferry boys, all Calgary, this world championships that was emerging. I'll have it a go, and it's a massive adventure. I mean, your longest plane, plane ride in, in the world, for me, that was eight hours from Manchester to Calgary. I mean, two hours to, to, to Bridlington, and you had to stop for a sandwich on the way. It was a big trip, but that was huge. And I went over there, we practised. Oh, I, I myself, and... Um, <laughs> Actually, you go in there. Uh, I mean, the, everybody was supportive. It was like these rules and regulations, and 
a big adventure, this, this carnival atmosphere of all the shows of, of um, North America and Australia. And um, we, uh, I actually won the first two rounds, like straight out, first first. The aluminium shoe making this lateral extension shoe. Um, Dave Wilson was the judge senior. And I think it might have been Tom Allison actually. I'm not quite sure. And um, everybody went into shock. And how old were you at this point? 21. 21. Yeah. 21 years. I just, I just on the cusp of finishing my apprenticeship, so I was still in my fourth year. And um, and um, everybody went into meltdown. Like what? The, what? The, even at the comp, everyone. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? This can't. This can't be right. What's going on? Shock! Shock! Horror! Blah blah blah. And. Um, that actually sent me into myself into a bit of spin. Oh, and the first things people kept saying to me is, you could win this, you could win this, this is sensational. Totally inexperienced. Nerves got to me a bit. But picked up a few places on the way. Got into the top 10 shoeing. And not used to Calgary then. Uh, that, it's changed over the years with the rules and regs. They, they, were, they were cutting the time down and went, Crikey, two shoes in two hours. What, what is that? When in the UK, you put one shoe on in 50 minutes and made a specimen, you know, and handful and all that. And I just went about my business. Um, I, I didn't get finished um, in, in that sense, but the job was good. And then Dave Wilson, who was judge, said, not a problem. I was honourable and finished the job real well. Um, and um, in Wilmington, under the point system, I think I came out about fifth. At that time, I mean, it's a point system, and you could argue if the points change, the system changes now that maybe it would have been different. But I was in the top ten at that time. It was well, it was a remarkable, sensational. As I say, I can still remember uh, the news back in the UK and people even, you know, uh, asking who this fellow was. Well, yeah, yeah. and um, I, I remember coming back with me. You know, I mean, here I am, Yorkshire man. I've never won a flat cap to be honest with you, but like you come back from Yorkshire. Home your tweeds and your flat cap and I've never been donned with all that <laughs> and uh, you come back with this baseball cap on and this American um, uh, these shirts with your name on it embroidered and I got off of the plane and I must admit uh, my dad was in tears so oh well that was that was brilliant so that was early on in your career I, mm. hope, I hope you didn't uh, peak early Colin <laughs> I probably did actually I think that was it <laughs> anyway so you've been in Australia a long time now, but what, what brought you here? Um, all right, here's the deep sentiment of it. When I was a child, you know, you had a <coughs> dad, a hard-working farrier, dawn till dusk, you know. Come on, mate, there's a sand pit there. I was always digging holes in the backyard, as much as I was digging holes in the coke pits in the forge, you know. And um, he goes, man, if you keep digging there, you're going to end up in Australia. And there is a psychology to what you do with your children in life, but whether it's a picture on a wall of a ship sailing or something, if you live in the middle of the country, it does sow a seed. And that was one seed, if that's what you'll end up in Australia as a young, young, young toddler. And then um, family have been all over the world, uh, sp sp spread to four corners of the world. Uh, I had a sister here at the time. She came back. She was in Brisbane. She said, you've got to come out, have a look. Um, I was sitting in a pub one day after a competition up in the New Mills competition. And uh, we're on about where you're going to be, where, where you are in life. 
And I was at a stage in my life when I was 25 years of age where you, you it's probably a crossroad and you go, where am I going to be? Do I settle down and stay here? Do I go see the world? And, um, and somebody said, well, give Australia a go. Why not? And uh, I went to North America because that was, in, if you're from Britain, oh, I'm just probably generalising, it was always like, oh, wow, look at that lot, land of milk and honey, look at all these well-supported fairies, glitz and glamour. And I thought, well, you've got to go there and see for yourself. And that was nice, but I'm going, no, 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 no. Ended up in Australia, had a good base with my sister, and um, I was just going to not actually do Farrer in a sense, but I'd, I, I'd heard of Keith Swan, obviously everybody knows of uh, Professor yeah. Chris Pollitt, but not seeking that. Keith, God bless him, took me, took me in. Uh, some uh, guy called Miles Hodge and uh, Carlo Dwyer down there and the associations embraced me. They'd only been going two years. And a young man of 27 and they said, wow, we need these clinics. And I went all around Australia doing clinics educations, subcontracting as a farrier, working in the breeding industry doing fall cuffs. I'd come out of uh, Canada when Muster just brought out the first glue on tab mechanisms. Yeah. And I was right up on it. So I was employed as a contractor in fall cuffs and stuff like that. Went skiing, fishing, work hard, play hard, absolute ball. Uh, at that time, met, met the love of my life, and then emigrated here in officially '92. Okay, so yeah. you've been here a long time, and I think you got into tool making. Whether you got into it here or you were already tool making before you came over. Yeah, um, you've, you've probably forgotten, but you gave me a beautiful pair of half round. Yeah, reset. Yeah, for reset. The reset nippers. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I've still got them. Well, land in Australia at the time it was. I mean, this is pre-internet, so information was sparse, and there was a very old. Uh, I mean, what was available? There was manufacturers in making things, but everything was imported. And one thing that was put to me is, there's no equipment here. Um, there's a big need for this. I mean, stamps, pritchels, starting alone. Um, and then tools, everything was imported, paying the premium for it with import tax, all right. So I developed, I suppose we, horseshoeing, yes, involved with a standard harness racing industry, that was that was good. Um, then tools and shoe making, again, making shoes and bar shoes, all that pre-made, sell them on, um, and the tools themselves, and we developed some interesting stuff. I mean, it was innovative at the time, uh, the way we did it, um, the reset nippers. Uh, Chris Paul had a little, uh, had a bit of input into that about. He said we can't. The guys are resecting with the knives and their um, the regular just old fashioned nippers, and he said they're putting too much pressure on the lamina because the way they go in. And he said we need some of the parrot beaks in. So we had some tooling made up and drawn. It cost a lot bit of a quid. That didn't really work. And then at that time, this is over twenty years ago now. Um, we had a, we developed these little reset nippers, which um, are actually highly sought after today. I believe they're yeah, like gold, you know. No, I'm not giving mine away. No, and sure. they work so beautifully, and um, uh, they went really well. But plus, with the tools, we went to the states with our product, uh, a multitude of things, and um, again, innovative. Um, we actually sold out. Um, came back, various partnership issues. Um, it was a fun time. I never went, I was never a bankrupt. We just nicely dispersed things and just a different stage in life and move on really. But okay. I, I, that's this, 
sometimes I've still got the tooling for a lot of that, and I go, oh, I could do that again. Is well, that, that, as I say, I don't have to tell you that um, those, those were my favourite resecting tools. Yeah. They, they resected a lot when I was doing a lot of remedial work, and uh, nice size got into the foot. Mm. So, so, so you got out of the tool making to a certain extent. You never know; we might see you again back in it. And then you got into education, didn't you? In, yeah. In, in Melbourne. So, how did that well, happen? The initial start of that with the uh, Australian Farriers and Blacksmiths Association. I mean, I, I do look at the back now and go, what What was I doing as a young man of um, you know, 27, 28? Uh, so, I mean, I was winning all the competitions in, well, I'm going to say all of them, but doing really well. And then they said, well, you better judge. And then the infrastructure here to... You know why they said you better judge, don't you? Because that's a, a competitor out of the way. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> and I know what you're saying. Anyway. That's okay. But um, do you know what? Uh, I mean, there weren't, you know, the Australian Farriers and Blacksmiths members were not resentful in any shape or form or, or nasty towards me. They totally embraced me and took me in and said, we need this guy to help us. And I set, I, I set them up oh, I'm with the policies and procedures for running the competitions, the whole uh, infrastructure of, uh, you know, set your plan up, your timetable, etc., which I like that. And then I became president. I said, well, we need you as president to fire this off. We, we shot off, um, you know, we need to expose ourselves. Again, all pre-internet, sent a, a team to, to uh, Stonely. You know, oh, Australia, what's that, you know? Turned up, oh, great, great, great affinity with the British and the Australians, you know, neighbours and home and away and all that cricket. Then I got approached by the college about what was what was going on in, in, in Victoria in particular. There's only one school, really, Sydney and Melbourne, and uh, the lads from Queensland had to send the, the students down to Melbourne, and they weren't happy with it. And this college that was just, I suppose, down the road from me said, uh, you're the national president, we'd like some input here, we want to start flowery courses, tell us what it's all about. And I thought, well, here I am, I've got my diploma, I know what that's all about, well, I actually need LWCF too. Um, I came out with that. Um, so a high level of learning, and I, I helped them develop that system. And, and actually, I, you know, I, I've actually spoke to politicians and went to a high level with the education department about lobbying to get it taught at that particular college at that time. And you go, well, that's a pretty marvellous achievement for a, 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 a migrant of, a, of a such an early age to actually get access to MPs. Yeah. Members of Parliament say, we want this college here, and we want funding here. I, I did that and lobbied it as national president. And um, and then to be... So they got it up and running for four years. They put um, a, a chap on called Malcolm Lord, who's still alive. And good on you, Malcolm. And he, he ran it, and then he retired. I was big. The reason I didn't take the position on, I mean, conflict of interest, I can't set something up and train it, because they asked me to train it. I said, no. Um, but I was in the tool-making business, full-on, in the Farry world and involved with the association. And then Malcolm retired. They rang me up and said, look, we need someone to teach it. Um, they said, you have to apply for the job. I went, righto. And uh, I was in transition from one business and phasing out and in another stage in my career. And um, I applied for the job, as did other people, and didn't get it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a bit of a yeah, and I went, oh, so they rang me up and said, listen, we can put you on session. We need someone to teach these people, these farriers. Fantastic. Okay, and uh, and um, and they said the problem is it's bureaucracy of, of education and government. It's all about writing a CV or resume. You've got to address the key criteria. Uh, you know, right? So many people, people are marvelous at applying for jobs, and they actually can't do it. We know you can do the job, but you can't write your application properly. Fine. So I taught there for six months on what we call sessional rates. Learned the trade as of a teacher, not as a farrier, which allowed me to then put my application together. The job position was re-advertised, and again the application went in. And here I am, twenty years later, still doing it. So, so what is your role now at Melbourne Poly? Um, I am the, the, not, I suppose modesty, just the farrier trade teacher, yeah. the head farrier teacher, the only farrier teacher <laughs> at the moment, what do you want to call it? Uh, we've had a few sessions come in some, and some good people, and then there's a few pe- people that come in and teach other, deliver other subjects as much as we possibly can, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's what I do. Long time education and yeah. had to learn how to get yourself through that maze of bureaucracy yeah, and... Yeah, which still goes on today. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, the moment you think you've passed the paperwork, they come up with some more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, now you were uh, pretty instrumental in bringing the Diploma of the Worshipful Company of Farriers and the Associate of the Worshipful Company of Farriers to Australia two years ago because I was, I was one of the first examiners. Uh, so... You know, that must have taken some doing because we can't come over unless there's enough farriers yeah. to examine. And, of course, they don't necessarily need those qualifications. No. It, I mean, in a way, any more than you or I do. So so how is it you've got this large number of farriers to, to sit this examination? Um, starting from the grassroots, when I first came out, I never... I never waived the qualification. I never waived the flag. I mean, I'll, I'll give my other namesake, Colin Smith, FWCF Honours in the UK credit for this. He said, Colin, to Colin, <laughs> the Europe Yorkshire show once, no matter where you are in the world, you're going to have to work for a living, you know. Nobody's going to give you an extra £20,000 just because you've got a qualification. And I, I t- always took that as good advice. So I never brandished my, you know, look at me, I'm so qualified. And I, I kept a low profile that. Never, and I, I still today, I never really flag it about but then it comes with practice about demonstrating to the students talking to the students we sent some lads over to England just because I inspired them to go out there and be better and go look for yourself what's happening in the UK a lot of um, immigrants obviously from the UK with British heritage sent them and that came back that was good feedback and the students themselves that I taught when they got mature and they're on the committees like the Master Farris Committee in Victoria said, well, why can't we bring this qualification out to here? And uh, so we're running it in America. And I said, well, we can ask them. But I'd then, by that time, inspired a lot of people to have a go. I said, because this is the standard, if you look at me practically. Theoretically, I can't answer that because you can only, you know, show some, so many people so much in the classroom and then it's up to them to, to actually write it and, and get the knowledge. And... Um, we took it from there and spoke to the committee and said, right, let's punch it. Access to the workshop, the facilities, probably one of the best in the Yeah, fantastic. You can lock it down, it's, it's, it's fantastic. So um, one of the safest workshops in the world, I believe. Um, we're all gas, by the way. Um, it's one of the, probably one of the workshops in the Southern MS, we're plumbed in gas, which 
everybody was scared of that. Oh, you, oh, you can't use coke. Well, these actually, as you would know, you can firewall them beyond belief. Um, and we went from there and set it up. And uh, yeah, I was instrumental in that, in, in, in the, the, the infrastructure of setting up behind the scenes, time and talking with David Goodall about that, the registrar. He's the registrar of the Western Yeah, Republic the Paris, registrar yeah. about the logistics of getting people, names to numbers, times on, times off, in and out, you know, and all that. And I actually love doing that stuff. So we have a chance possibly next year. So uh, 2020, maybe, what what sort of dates are we talking about? I'm looking at November, I believe. Yep, that's what I'm told. Got to get it out of the way before the Melbourne Cup, haven't we, or...? No, it's after the Melbourne Cup. Okay, so, so Melbourne Cup's always the first Tuesday in November. Yeah, so so late November, maybe mid to late November. Yeah. Uh, how do we encourage the farriers in Australia and New Zealand and uh, to take it? And what would your advice be about preparing? Preparing practically. It's it's not complicated. It's just pure farry. I mean, you've got concave or hand fullered and variations of toe clip, side clip. Uh, possibly roll to who knows, but it's all there. I mean, looking at the Worship Company Farrier's website and going into the diploma and the syllabus, it's 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 absolutely beautifully crystal clear what you have to do. But it's pure farrier, there's nothing complicated about that, but done extremely well in exactness of farrier, you know. So, practically, um, everybody trims feet so that you know you should be on to that. Shoemaking, you've got to be up on it, and then you've got to fit it, nailing, clenching it. Um, that's fine. Theoretically, that is probably one of our letdowns. We need, it's not just, in Australia, we have multiple choice questioning systems and in some cases nothing. You've got to learn to write and write knowledge down on paper fast and concise in a given time frame and set your game plan out. And all, it's not just lower lag anatomy, it's overall horse knowledge as well that is relevant to Farrery and all your lower leg, what we referred to as diseases, I say conditions now, osteoarthritic conditions, if that question comes in. You know, body skull line, that was a, a wonky question once, wasn't it? Um, um, describe, you know, the eight reasons for laminitis, if that's one, or... or um, and then even your verbal questioning, like, um, you know, what is um, you know, the diseases that we have to be conscious of for quarantine with Farrer and stuff like that, everything at OHS as well. But, but um, I, I hope that the Barriers Association, and I hope you, help prepare these guys because they do need it. There's so many good guys. We saw that in the competition yesterday. There, there's 20 of them could have passed the diploma. Yeah. And probably 10 of them could have passed the associate on their skill level. We're yes. only judging skill level. Yes, yes. Um, but, but it's pre- preparing for an examination is different. Everybody's tense. Everybody's nervous. Yeah. yeah. So they need that a little bit. Um, yeah, Simon, I suppose one thing I want to say to the farriers out there, they must, and this is a general philosophy for life, is you must deal and get over the fear of failure. It's the biggest thing, and I really respect the people that come back and have a go again and again. And let's be honest, it's the people that keep trying that make it. The ones that give up don't make it. So don't give up if you didn't make it the first time or didn't get one. Keep having a go and... And that's, that's the key thing. It is a massive thing to deal with. Uh, and there's no shame in not making it because you have a go, don't dismiss it and, and rubbish the system because it's the most fairest system of farrier examination in the world.
Well, that's very good of you. We, we, we work very hard at our credibility. Yeah. No fear or favour when you sit the exam. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've mm. done. You're, you're examined on the same level as everybody else. But tell me, so if people, if, if, if farriers in Australasia contacted you for help, you'd talk to them yeah. about help for this? Yeah. Um, they should lobby their association, go yeah. on clinics, shouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. They shouldn't just turn up, should they? they it's should uh, sometimes a bit of a myth and a, a legend to think that anybody that's passed it knows how to do it. Um, I, I've got a long, deep-seated knowledge of education and process yeah. and, and, and setting out a, a procedure to, to learn it. Um, sometimes as much as teaching your farrier, you've got to actually teach someone how to learn it. And you have to teach them uh, the disciplines and the rigours of putting it down on paper. Yeah, yeah. And, and even, as you know, it's, in, in that respect, it's, it's not different from a, from a competition that, that, that people have to learn the process to get through. Yeah. No matter how good a farrier they are, if they don't have a process that, that, that allows them to, get, to, to show their skills and get finished in time, yeah. then, then, you know, so they need to develop all those skills, don't they? Yeah. All right, well, that's great. And I'm, I'm, I knew when I asked you that you, you'd help people, so I hope people can contact you. And you just did a bit of philosophy there, uh, but I, I actually always have a deep philosophical question in this, uh, right. in, in this conversation. Uh, so what I'd like to know from you is, what's the most important thing you've learned in life? I suppose don't give up, really. Sometimes you feel like giving up, and here I am 20 years on, 28 years on, I could have left this, this Australia and gone back to England, as so many people do. Compl I'm not a whinging pom. I love the hot weather. It can be too hot. You're in Melbourne. Uh, well, uh, no, last year, God, we, we have, uh, it's the hottest dry, dry state on, in the planet, probably the planet. I mean, when we had the bushfires, it got up to 46. Last year, it got up to 48 one day. I mean, makes the thermometer out the back veranda. That is crazy heat. Yeah, you know, I mean, you don't. It locks. I mean, January where we are, the, the, everybody goes into holiday mode. January's a, a non-compom. After Christmas, New Year, nothing much happens. It's not fun shoeing horses. You, you you've got to be you know, good for that. And yet, the crazy argument is: last week it snowed where we were. Yeah, we're only three hours from the ski fields. That's, that's what I mean. Most of Australia, they. I mean, look at Melbourne, and they say don't go there in the winter. It's a, look at uh, man, July, I love Brisbane. Oh. I've never been to Sydney much. Perth, I have a lot of time in Perth, spent there. Fantastic, most isolated city on the planet. Yeah. There's that, something about it. Six hours drive to the South Albany, see whales on whales and massive great white sharks and so on. And yeah, don't, I, I, I've actually, I'm still here. And, and I look back and go, on, oh, and I've changed. You, you look at, uh, there's a philosophy in life about, uh, I'm, I haven't reinvented myself. You go through stages in your life and, and you do things differently and you keep it fresh. Uh, another passion. Uh, obviously, it was horseshoe making as an apprentice and competitions, then tool making, then running a business and talking to people in clinics and now a teacher as such. And you have to keep yourself an occupation, uh, you know, uh, it, even when you're not earning a living from it and, and keep yourself fresh. Now, that's, that's a tough the one. county of Yorkshire yeah. around the world <laughs> is renowned for pro producing people who think that it is God's own county and that's the only place to live in the world. So, well, anything you miss? Yeah. Um, 
I, I used to be, um, if you want, I used to be, uh, I used to love my MGs. I had my MGB. You can own one here. I could, I could. But it's too hot. It's, <laughs> you burn, yeah. You, you actually hide from the sun here, really, to be honest with you. You fry. But uh, I miss the countryside, North Yorkshire Moors, the pubs, and then the dales, and the drives like that. I miss that, and that quintessential, you know, going to James Eric country in Askrig and staying in the... Um, I think it was the Ascrig Arms once there with my, my, my then girlfriend and stuff like that. And that's what I miss. And um, then I don't miss, I mean, I don't miss the long, cold, miserable... The horizontal rain. The horizontal <laughs> rain, the wet mudness, your, your fingers cracking up, your calluses, your cuts, your burns, your, your big, dirty hunters that are giving you pounding. <laughs> <laughs> and people saying, well, can you drop the price a bit? Why? <laughs> oh, because uh, I'm a tight old Yorkshire. Well, Yorkshire's wanna... renowned for that as well. Oh, my, my God. People look after their money, don't they? Yeah. So, okay, Colin, uh, you've got to get a plane down to Melbourne. You've only got a 1,000 miles to go, I guess. 885, actually. Oh, right. Okay, so I've got to get about 11,000 mile flight, yeah. two hours after you. So we've both got to go and get packed and, and get off. Um, I want to thank you for two things, really. The main thing is the competition that we did together. Uh, you know, your knowledge of um, competitions is ten times what mine is, and but you made it easy for me. I think we worked as a as a pretty good partnership, and yeah. as you could tell, I was always guided by you. I said, "What are we going to do here, Colin?" And what you said, we did, and it worked smoothly. I mean, that was a huge competition. That's probably the biggest competition you've judged, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, 45 open competitors. Yeah. And uh, judging's, uh, people said, did you find it fun? And I went, I said to you, you'll have felt like you've shod 10 horses today, picking up feet. Yeah. I mean, the Clydesdales, the draft horses, and then the, the, you're picking up feet. Well, I got the backs. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, well, anyway, you know why I got yeah, you right, the back. Yeah, right. So that's okay. I was prepared. You're I brought me little. Younger. I brought me little towel ready to wipe down anything that came out <laughs> and splashed off. That was fantastic. And away we go. Really, but it was good. It, I, and the competitors thanked us for that, for the logistics of getting it judged smart, quick, and not. We we did it really well. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, it was wonderful. a pleasure to work with you, Colin, and it's an absolute pleasure to have this chance to catch up with you. Uh, I hope I see you in a couple of years' time. Yeah. And uh, probably we won't have a microphone between us. We might have a pint of beer between oh, us. A pint, yes, that's the one. All right. Good Australian beer. <laughs> well, they've finally learned to make beer, which is quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll see you soon, Colin. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I've been listening to Colin's podcast during the week that my new book The Farrier came out it, a, it gave me a great break uh, from the publicity and the packing of books and the sorting out things with the printers and actually doing a few interviews myself to try and publicize it but you know the interview with Colin reminded me of one of my experiences that I recorded in the book so that was really Nice for me just to listen to. Colin had some great advice, didn't he, in this podcast, uh, especially on preparing for exams. You know, exams terrify almost everybody, and very few people 
shall we say, perform as well in an examination as they do outside of that examination. And Colin has some great advice on preparing and overcoming the fear of failure. Now, as we, we talked about in the podcast about the Worship Company of Farriers examining in Australia, and I've had the privilege to do that, and you can tell from, from the exam we were expecting that to come up. Well, it, it has been not so much cancelled as postponed, so we will be back there, and I hope the Australian and New Zealand farriers listen to this. Uh, it gives them heart to keep practising, and we all know there will come a day when this COVID-19 is out of the way and life will return at normality. And I hope there'll be lots of farriers then ready to take the uh, opportunity to be examined by the Worship Company of Farriers. So really, in summary, Colin emigrated to another country and he achieved so much. Uh, he has admired far and wide, really, for what he brought to Australia uh, you can tell he's still a very down-to-earth Yorkshireman and I hope we came over sounding as if we were great pals because we are really and yet of course because of the distance between the UK and Australia that was probably only the fifth time that I'd met him and we had this great relationship judging together and as I said quite clearly although I have some judging experience and I have judged all over the world it's Colin who has the expertise and he really helped me out uh, at the Australasian Games and I'm grateful to him for that. I'm also very grateful to him for this podcast. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.